Welcome to Fireside Football, presented by Empire Sports Media. As always, I'm Dylan Price, joined by Brendan Carpenter. And today's guest, he was a contributor for the New York Times, Boston Herald, and Newsday, as well as working for NJ.com. And now he is the beat writer for The Athletic, covering the New York Giants. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Dan Duggan. Dan, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. So kind of getting right into your start, how did you get to where you are today? All right, let me try and condense it as much as possible so I don't bore you. But um, I graduated from University of Massachusetts in 2006 and started working at the Boston Herald uh, shortly thereafter at like the lowest rung on the totem pole, you know, answering phone calls with high school scores and stuff like that. And just kind of slowly but surely worked my way up there. I uh, was there for six years. By the time I finished, I was kind of like the sort of like the third guy on every beat. Like I'd go with the seasons where, you know, the Patriots, then to the Celtics, then to the Red Sox. And I would just kind of be filling gaps uh, on those beats. And then in 2012, I moved down to New York, really more for personal than professional reasons. That, yeah, I met my wife and, uh, and moved down here, kind of took a plunge in my 28-year-old wisdom was like, I'll just figure out the job stuff. And uh, so that's why you mentioned I contributed to the Newsday and the New York Times. I really freelanced for the first year I was down here and then was fortunate in 2013 to get hired by NJ.com to cover Rutgers. Um, covered Rutgers until right before the 2016 football season. I, I jumped up to the Giants beat, uh, covered the Giants for two years at NJ.com. And then in March of 2018, I uh, jumped ship and joined the Athletics. So now I'm going into my third season. Uh, wow, it's weird to even think it's been that long. Going into my third season at the Athletic here covering the Giants. Now, have you always been a Giants fan or are you a Giants fan? And how did that kind of Giants connection start? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, as I said, I, I went to UMass. I'm, you know, I'm from the Boston area originally, so I was a Patriots fan growing up. Um, and so it's funny, you know, getting this job, a lot of, you know, friends back home, family, like, oh my God, how can you cover the Giants? Because obviously they, uh, have bad memories from those two Super Bowls. But, uh, the thing I always say is, I mean, it's a job the, the fandom really gets kind of beaten out of you at an, an early stage because when I was at the Herald, I was covering the Patriots. So you'd think, you know, oh, sort of my dream job, but you sit through a few Bill Belichick press conferences and <laughs> the, the luster kind of wears off pretty quickly. And, um, you know, you could you could send me anywhere in the country, and I'd cover the team the same way. I, I I didn't you know when I covered the Patriots, I wasn't a homer, and when I covered the Giants, I don't think I I treat them as like some aggrieved fan from Super Bowls you know a decade ago. Um, it's really it's just a job, and um, you get to know the people more than you know the you know the the fan allegiances. So um, definitely didn't grow up a Giants fan, um, but I, like I said, at this point in my career, I've been doing it for a while. Uh, the fandom is is kind of kind of dissipated, anyways. All right, so now before we start talking about the Giants, though, Ben, I have to ask: being that you were a Patriots fan and you cover the Giants, this might be a little biased of an answer for you, but who's the better New York quarterback, Sam Darnold or Daniel Jones? <laughs> That's a loaded question. I don't, I don't even know where the Patriots angle comes in there, but uh, I will say this. I think Daniel Jones, you know, had a more impressive rookie season than Darnold. Uh, Darnold's second year was kind of weird there with the mono, and it was, and he had some really bad games, but they also, you know, had some good games. They won, um, you know, and it wasn't like they had this great team. So 
Um, it's fun. It's going to be a fun debate for hopefully the next 10, 12 years. If, you know, both these guys have great careers. I know Giants fans don't really care that Darnold has one, but it'll be fun in the market if you have like two of the top five, 10 quarterbacks in the league. And, um, you know, but you never know. That's, you know, a potential Super Bowl matchup would, you know, probably make New York explode. Um, you know, I, I am probably higher on Jones right now, but I, I think the Giants fans want to pick a zero sum answer. Like, Jones is good, Darnold sucks. I think that. Um, they're both pretty good quarterbacks and have a long, well, they, they basically have a wide range of where their careers could go. Like I think the, the ceilings are pretty high. I think the floors are fairly low. I think they're, you know, they're both going to be starting quarterbacks for a while, but, um, do they take that next jump? I think we're certainly going to find that out in the next couple of years, obviously. All right. So let's stick with Daniel Jones here. He had, you know, he showed some flashes as a rookie. He had some problems, uh, specifically, uh, with fumbles and turnovers. So, you know, what have you seen or heard from training camp um, as reasons why Daniel Jones is going to take that next step and have an even better sophomore season? Yeah, I mean, we're obviously, you know, projecting right now because you've know, seen a couple of training camp practices and, um, you know, we won't even get to see preseason games as, as we all know this year. So um, I think there's the question of how does he adjust to you know, Jason Garrett's offense. Personally, I don't think that's a huge deal. Um, you know, he learned coming from Duke to the NFL last year, uh, and he was the backup quarterback, so he wasn't getting all the reps. He wasn't getting, you know, plays tailored to his strengths, and he obviously acquitted himself quite well when he got you know, inserted in the starting lineup uh, pretty suddenly. So I don't think that'll be a, a big thing, but it is a variable. Obviously, you know, the whole offseason has been, um, you know, kind of compromised by COVID and having to do stuff virtually. I mean, I don't, we don't know how much that'll affect these guys, but, I mean, you watch him day in and day out of practice. He looks the part. Um you know, I think everything we saw last year solidified the fact that, you know, his floor is, you know, an NFL caliber quarterback. Again, where he takes that is the question no one knows the answer to. But uh, I think you have to love a lot of the intangibles from, you know, what I've seen and heard about him this offseason. It seemed like he really went to work. And that was, you know, that was to be expected. That was sort of his M.O. But um, getting to know him a little better and, and talk to people close to him um, definitely seems like he's very serious about you know, making all the steps to improve. Now, again, we don't know when when the lights come on. Is the pocket presence still going to be shaky? Is the ball security still going to be an issue? We don't know. I do know he's put in as much work as he can to fix that. Um, so it'll be fascinating to see, you know, where the progress is when we do, you know, get to the season, which isn't that far away, which is crazy to think. Now, along with Daniel Jones being kind of counted on to take that step up this year, there's also a new wrinkle to him taking a step up in Joe Judge being the new head coach. And recently at training camp this week, he instituted not only the players running laps for mistakes and whatnot, but also having the assistant coaches run laps. And a lot of this has been kind of described as a way of him earning the respect as a new head coach and a rookie head coach. What did you see this move as and how have you kind of felt the sentiment around the league is about him being a no-nonsense kind of head coach? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's been interesting. Like, you know, with their practice and you're just observing everything is new. I mean, he does a lot of things differently than, you know, Pat Trimmer and Ben McAdoo, which the, I, didn't, I wasn't here for Coughlin. Um, just the way his practices are conducted, they're, you know, a lot faster tempo. There's a lot more going on. They use, they split the team up a lot more and, and get a lot more reps that way. So we're just, you know, you're just making observations of everything. And the laps thing uh, is something we really haven't seen very much. And I think it's, you know, it's totally gotten, you know, overblown. I don't think it's, he's reinventing the wheel here. I know that they do it in New England and uh, you can trace obviously a lot of 
uh, judges practices back to what they do in New England. Um, but I mean, even when Sherman was here, if a defensive back dropped an interception, they would, you know, bang out 10 pushups real fast. So again, like the idea of some sort of punishment for a mistake isn't like revolutionary. Um, so it was interesting that it sort of caught, wild, caught like wildfire on social media. You know, you even guys like Shannon Sharp weighing in, some other former players kind of taking shots at it. Because I really think what it comes down to is, you know, obviously judges coming from the Bill Belichick shadow. I think the shadow that looms even larger is like the Matt Patricia, Eric Mangini, Josh McDaniel shadow, where all these former Belichick guys went out, you know, supposedly tried to do things the Belichick way. Um, none have had really any success. And I think that that's kind of following Judge around. So when people see him doing, you know, these intense uh, taskmaster type ways, there's an, oh, here we go again. We don't know. I mean, he, he certainly carries himself, um, you know, very well, has very detailed plans. And, and to his credit, explains them a lot better than Belichick would. So that's one difference right off the bat. He really uh, provides insight into his thought process on a lot of things. So, I mean, the, I put it this way. I don't think the laps are going to be a reason why they go – Two and fourteen, or fourteen and two, vice. You know, I don't think it's going to make a drastic difference. He's clearly trying to, you know, instill a culture. This is a small part of it. It definitely kind of blew up because I think it's just such an obvious thing to, to hone in on. I mean, I'm sure there's a million things going on behind the scenes throughout the day um, that are along the same lines that we just don't get to see. Um, but he, I mean, he's definitely trying to establish a certain level of accountability. Uh, I don't think that's a bad thing. I do think there's a fine line where. You're not dealing with high school kids. You're not dealing with college kids. These are, you know, grown men getting paid millions of dollars. And if you start losing, it becomes a lot easier to tune out the guy who, you know, is, is riding your heart every day. Um, so as with everything in professional sports, winning solves a lot of problems. Um, so we don't know. So the jury is still out on judges' tactics. But the laps themselves, I think, has gotten overblown. Okay. Now, I think, you know, Saquon Barkley last year missed three games. Um due to injury. And, you know, when he's healthy, I think he's very clearly one of the top two running backs in all of football, along with Christian McCaffrey. So if he stays healthy this season, how far do you think that the Giants can go with him fully healthy and with Daniel Jones potentially taking a step up? Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely have to be excited about the offense. I mean, although you look back to Saquon's rookie year, I mean, maybe he can do a little better than that, but he had a hell of a rookie year and what they went five games. So, uh, I don't believe that he can just, you know, carry them, um, you know, to the promised land by any stretch. I think the, the part you added there of Jones, if he takes the game to the next level, I think that'll have the greater impact. And and listen, they have, you know, quality weapons. They don't have, you know, a guy like Hotel or, you know, whoever you always want to say is like a elite number one outside wide receiver. But they have capable guys that, you know, defenses have to account for. Or, you know, of course, with Engram, the, the caveat of can he stay healthy. But there's definitely something to work with there as far as weapons. And so, yeah, I mean, I think Saquon, I agree with you, he's one of the best running backs in the league, but uh, he, he needs help. And, and the offensive line, to me, it looks different. I'm not so sure it's better. I mean, we'll have to, you know, again, that's like such a cop-out answer. We have to get on the field to see it. Because um, there's some question marks there. You're talking about a rookie at left tackle. You're talking about a center competition that's, uh, you know, unsettled. And we're, you know, less than four weeks away from the opener. Right tackle, you're probably talking about a guy like Cam Fleming, who's really been a more of a career backup. Um, so there's some question marks there. So if they, if they ever get the offensive line rolling, I think it'd be crazy what Saquon could do because uh, his big playability, the, the more often you get him to the second level, obviously the odds increase of him breaking one. And, and he's, you know, he hasn't had the greatest blocking. And so yeah, he's had to make a lot of his plays on his own. So uh, I think that's where the ceiling can really go up. If, if Jones is the real deal, and then probably more importantly, 
uh, if the offensive line, you know, really improves, yeah, then I think Saquon would just be, you know, a major problem for opponents. Now, another offensive weapon and also a special teams weapon in Cody Core, it was announced, was injured today. So could you kind of highlight what you've heard about the injury and to the extent of how long Cody's going to be out? Yeah, so he, he tore his Achilles tendon um, late in Tuesday's practice. I honestly didn't even see it happen. I guess he was just, you know, running a route and, you know, the Achilles injuries, you know, non-contact just um, took a bad step or whatever it was. And and so he's done for the year. Um, they actually put him on, on IR and uh, used his roster spot to sign Graham Gano to take over as a kicker. But, um, yeah, that's a blow. I mean, you know, Cody Korb, you know, is not was not in the um, idea to be a big receiving threat. But he's a very good special teams player. I mean, Joe Judge, who obviously knows quite a bit about special teams, said he's one of the best, best special teams players in the league. So that says something. Um, so it's a big loss there. You know, I, I don't know that they're going to be able to find a guy to replicate what he did there. But what it does do is it opens a roster spot. They have a ton of these young, unproven receivers who are uh, going to be fighting for maybe one spot. Now it becomes two. So you never know. Maybe this turns out to be a blessing in disguise if if they discover, I don't want to say the next Victor Cruz, but, you know, if they find some unheralded wide receiver who might not have made the roster, also maybe sneaks on and, and makes an impact. I mean, that's obviously the optimistic view uh, because in the, the sort of the half-class uh, empty view, they just lost a really good special teamer. Um, and a guy who, you know, they were expecting to contribute this year. Sticking with recent injury news, the Giants just caught a huge uh, break with cornerback Corey Ballantyne because, you know, he went down with an injury scare and he was recently cleared to go back to full practicing. So now that he's going to be okay uh, at the time being, do you see him taking a nice step up? And how do you see him faring in that new expanded role at cornerback? Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, um, you know, coming into, I wouldn't say coming into camp because the Baker situation happened before that, but, you know, early in the offseason when, when Judge came in, you know, I think the plan was obviously for DeAndre Baker, you know, your first round pick from a year ago to be a starter. He obviously has his, his legal issues. He's out of the picture. So then you say, okay, it's going to be Sam Beal and he opts out. And then you say, okay, they got to go get a veteran. So they go seemingly line everything up with Ross Cockrell last minute that falls apart. So now it's Corey Ballantyne. So it's like they can probably spin that they have a ton of confidence in him, but they certainly had other options. This was not plan A. And frankly, I'm a little surprised that they haven't signed another veteran after kind of uh, things falling apart at the altar with Cockrell. I mean, there is time. Maybe they're, they're waiting. I, I don't know. I would think you want to get someone in here sooner than later, especially um, the onboarding process with the testing it takes a few days. So uh, every day you wait, you're kind of putting yourself more behind the eight ball. So maybe they are content to just go with Ballantyne. I think that's risky. Um, you're talking about a guy who's a sixth-round pick out of a Division II school, and he did look really good last year in training camp in the preseason. Then he went to the bench early in the season because it wasn't a role for him. And then he got put in a bad spot where they played him in the slot, which he was just overmatched. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't really have the skill set to play the slot, but they were just kind of desperate. I think they wanted to get him on the field, and that didn't go well. So at least now he'll be back outside where he's more comfortable um, but in the first couple of days of practice, um, before the injury, you know, he, I think I would say he's struggling a little bit in coverage. I mean, I, I just don't know that he's a NFL starting corner. And, and I think that's a lot to put on his plate. And then you look behind him, there's a bunch of guys you're going to be looking at your program to figure out who they are. So I think it makes a lot of sense to, to get some Ross Cockrell-esque veteran in here just to have sort of a baseline level of competency across from James Bradbury. And then if Ballantyne wows you, well, then certainly, you know, you can put him in there and it'd be, it'd be a great story if, if a six-round pick becomes a quality starting corner. But 
I think the way they're going in right now of relying on him, that that could be, uh, you know, a recipe for a problem. Now you just highlighted DeAndre Baker a little bit there. Can you kind of elaborate? It seems like you kind of have written him off within the organization. How do you see Baker fitting, if at all, with the team now that there's been so much controversy within him with legal issues and everything else? Do you see him at all repping the uh, Giants colors again? Uh, no, I, I don't think he'll ever, you know, put a Giants uniform on again. I mean, he, his first priority has to be, you know, not putting on a prison jumpsuit, though. I mean, if we're just going to be blunt about it, I mean, he's facing some serious charges. And, um, you know, we saw the Quentin Dunbar who got arrested alongside Baker. The charges never got filed against him. So clearly, you know, the, the state of Florida feels like they have a strong enough case to proceed against Baker because if they didn't, they would have dismissed it just like they did with Dunbar. So that, you know, that's that's a very serious legal situation he's facing. But let's just say, you know, he has his day in court um, and he gets exonerated. I don't I can't imagine the Giants going to stick with him because it's going to be a long process. Um, You know, he the the trial system is all backed up because of COVID. Uh, I think you're looking at a long time before he even gets to that point. Now, granted, he's on the commissioner's exemplist. They can just let him sit there uh, indefinitely. But when he's on the exemplist, you have to pay him. I think that would be a tough pill to swallow to, you know, cut him a check for, I think it's like $57,000 every week this year. And, you know, I, I think that the organization, you know, whether he did exactly what he's been charged with, I think that um, there's enough that they didn't like about this whole situation where uh, I think they're done with him. Um, you know, I, I don't know exactly what the timeline is. I think there's definitely financial considerations. I mean, he has guaranteed money left in his deal. He has signing bonus money that they could potentially try to recoup. So I think there's a lot more that goes into it than just saying, you know, we're cutting them, we're done with them. I think they have to be kind of careful with the timing and, and how the contract is worded and all sorts of stuff that's, you know, beyond my, uh, you know, level of knowledge on, on how contracts work. But I think that's probably more the reason. I don't think they're standing by him. I think they're just letting him sit on an exempt list and getting their ducks in a row. Shifting over to their first rounder from this year in Andrew Thomas, how has he looked in camp as somebody's on there? And also, how do you think he's going to fare in his rookie season? Yeah, well, again, it's important to note that we've, we've only seen three practices at this point, and really Wednesday's practice was really light. I mean, it was basically almost uh, you know a little bit higher than a walkthrough pace. So I've seen two practices. Um, it was good on Tuesday. They did a lot of pass rush um, drills right in front of the reporters. So it was you know offensive linemen squaring off one on one against either D linemen or edge rushers, and, and you know he took his lumps in that drill, but. Uh, that's to be expected. I mean, even veterans struggle with that at times. You know, a guy's going to get you, and and then, you know, he turned the tables a few times. But um, So it's hard to really make a, a definitive judgment on, on where he's at right now. I mean, I will say he's sort of like on the Jones uh, topic earlier. And as far as intangibles, he seems like someone who really gets it. He's going to work hard. Uh, he's, he's really diligent. Like, he was quick to point out some of the weaknesses he has that he needs to tighten up. What You know, his big thing really is um, – using his hands and pass protection. He said he has a tendency uh, to, you know, get a little wide. He's really working on uh, tightening that up. So I think he checks a lot of those boxes. I think they're relying on him immensely, especially when you consider that, you know, maybe if Nate Solder doesn't opt out, they might start Thomas on the right side with the idea that that eases him in. And I don't even know if that's true anymore because so many teams put their best pass rusher on that side. I don't know if there is such thing as easing in on that side. But, um, you know, I think they're counting on now. He's going to be protecting Daniel Jones' blind side. For this year, and as they hope for the next decade, um, but I mean, he's a rookie offensive lineman. You know, they have some growing pains, so I'd be very surprised if he comes out and has a Pro Bowl season. I'm sure there'll be some good games, and I'm sure there'll be some games where he looks like a rookie. And um, you know, you're facing 
guys making $20 million across from you for, for a reason. There's some great pass rushes he's going to go up against, and I'm, I'm sure he'll have his hands full at times. Um, but, hey, they, they took him with the number four pick. They're, they're counting on him, and they're going to sink or swim with him this season. I mean, he's going to be out there, and he's going to be in a very prominent spot. I like Thomas, and I think that uh, it was actually a very good pick by the New York Giants to nab him. And I think that in regards to the next guy I'm going to talk to you about, he's someone who at Georgia seemed like he was not a very controversial guy, a kind of quiet guy, and he just is a hard worker, and I'm excited to see what he can do with uh, the New York Giants. Now, talking about in that regard was the kicker situation. There was a lot of controversy surrounding Alder Rosas, he is a talented kicker, but he is no longer a New York Giant. Their new kicker is Graham Gano for the time being. Obviously, they signed Catanzaro, but now Gano seems like he is the guy. So what do you think of Graham Gano joining the New York Giants? I mean, he was the guy that really made a lot of sense when, when they, uh, even when Rosas first got arrested and then when they officially cut ties, uh, he just didn't take a lot of dot connecting to say, well, this guy was in Carolina when Gettleman was there, when Thomas he was there. Um, you know, probably had the best resume of the kickers that were available. The big question with him was health. You know, he missed all last season with a leg injury. Uh, Carolina cut him, so you just weren't really sure where he was health-wise. Um, so, you know, apparently that's why the Giants were a little slow to bring him in. Maybe just, you know, logistically they couldn't get him in in time, so they signed Catanzaro just to hold down the fort. But once they were able to get Gano in here for a visit, clearly he checked out because they wouldn't have signed him otherwise. And, and you know, they're they're confident that, you know, he can kind of return to form after, like I said, missing that season with an injury. Um, you know, I, listen, the last thing you want is a revolving door kicker. So, um, you know, the hope that Gano can, can like rebound this year and then maybe, you know, he can have plenty of years left. I mean, kickers can last well into their 30s. I think he's only about 32 or 33. So, um, you know, he could be the long-term guy, but I think you just hope that he can hold down the fourth this year so you're not in a situation where, you know, he struggles and you got to bring, you know, Catanzaro back or you got to, you know, constantly be shuffling there. I mean, I think that, if he's healthy, his track record suggests he should be able to hold the job down and you know be a solid kicker. Now, before we move on here a little bit to the rest of the NFC East and the foes the Giants are going to have to be facing, I'm curious, could you give us one player on offense and defense that maybe people aren't talking about as much but could make pretty big impacts for this upcoming season? Oh, it's, it's hard for me to answer these questions because I'm, like, so ingrained in the team that, like, no one feels like a surprise player, you know, especially on offense. Because, I mean, you look at their their top five skill guys are all, you know, like household names from Saquon and Ingram and Shepard and Tate and Slayton. So uh, it's really hard to even think of somebody there. Um, you know, maybe Corey Coleman. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not super high that he's going to have a ton of opportunities to do that, but – he still does have the first-round pedigree. Maybe with Cody Core's injury, um, that bumps him up a, a speck. I mean, I don't think again. I don't think he's gonna have enough opportunities to make a big impact. But maybe he's a guy that can can get out there and, and show something. Um, defensively, the the guy who definitely has come off the radar, you know, early in camp here is Devonte Downs, who I think when we're looking at the inside linebacker spot next to Blake Martinez all offseason, you know, it felt like Ryan Conley and and David Mayo would be the main uh, competitors for that job, but. But Downs is definitely in that mix. I mean, he's a guy who, you know, honestly, I didn't really get much thought to. It was, it was hard. I've, never, I've actually never seen him play defense because the Giants claimed him last year. He got cut during the season, put him on the practice squad at first. You know, not, we don't get to see full practices during the season. And then he got called up to the active roster, but was just played special teams in a handful of games down the stretch. So 
Um, just was kind of an afterthought to me, but clearly this coaching staff got in and saw something on film from you know his preseasons and maybe even going back to college that they liked. And so he's a guy who, you know, I can't say he'll be a, a Pro Bowl or anything like that, but he's far more in the mix than I thought. So maybe he's a guy who, who comes kind of from nowhere to, to have a starting job. Now, looking at how the Giants fit within the NFC East, how do you think that they're going to play in terms of interdivisional games this year? And also, how do you think they're going to fare in terms of ranking? Uh, I mean, I think there's a pretty clear divide between the, the Cowboys and the Eagles and then the Giants and the Redskins. Um, you know, I think that they should be better than the Redskins. So, you know, I think you can probably put them pretty firmly, in my opinion, in third place in the NFC East. And I do think the other two teams are kind of a cut above. And that's fine because the Giants are in a different place right now. I mean, they're, they have a very young quarterback. Uh, they're trying to build something here, whereas, you know, the Cowboys and the Eagles, you know, have their quarterbacks in place. They're really trying to make Super Bowl runs. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think the Giants are anywhere close to contending with those teams. I think the big key for them this year is to just make some strides, close that gap a little bit so you feel like, hey, we're only a couple pieces away. Next offseason, whether it be, you know, another top draft pick or some free agents, you can bridge that gap even more, but I'd be very surprised if they were able to, you know, push either one of those teams to get up into second place in the division. Now, well, first thing, Dan, it's the Washington football team now. Oh, yeah, that's going to take a while. So, you know, people still call them the San Diego Chargers, so it's going to be hard to make that change. But talking about them a little bit, they are not the favorites to win it, but rather the favorites in my eyes, and I think Brendan's as well, to likely finish last in the division. So how do you think that they're going to improve under Ron Rivera, or do you think that they're going to have to take a little more time before that happens? Yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're in a rebuild, too. I think the you know it's going to be intriguing to see, you know because obviously the Giants took Daniel Jones at six, and a lot of people thought, at the time, maybe they should take Dwayne Haskins. So it'll be interesting to see how he develops. But I think it's much like the Giants. If Dwayne Haskins develops into a franchise quarterback, then the rebuild will go a lot faster. If he doesn't prove to be the guy, then, you know, in a couple of years, you're probably back taking another quarterback early in the draft. So, um, you know, I think that is the key. I think, I think Washington uh, is kind of the opposite of the Giants. I think they have a lot more pieces on defense. That could be a really good defense uh, if they kind of get things straightened out there. And whereas offensively, I feel like they're really lacking weapons other than uh, McLaurin. So, um, you know, I think that they're a team that's very much in the same boat as the Giants, and they're both going to be fighting and clawing to, to get out of that NFC East basement. But uh, I think for both teams, it'll take a little while. Now, looking at their quarterback situation with Dwayne Haskins, now Alex Smith could be in the mix a little bit with him coming back from injury. So I got to ask, before we talk a little bit about Alex Smith, who do you think in Washington, obviously you're the Giants reporter, but who do you think in Washington ends up being the starter if you had to pinpoint? Uh, I mean, I think it will be Haskins. I mean, I'm sure they're having a, you know, quote-unquote open competition. I mean, if Alex Smith becomes a starter, that would be an unbelievable story. It's unbelievable just that he's playing, so or at least practicing. Uh, I don't, I don't think uh, he'll he'll really contend for that starting job. Um, you know, listen, if they took Dwayne Haskins uh, early last year in the draft and he loses the you know competition to Kyle Allen, that would be pretty damning about sort of the, the long term outlook for Haskins and really the franchise. So um, I would highly expect uh, Haskins to emerge in that competition. So looking at um, 
Alex Smith as a whole now that he is back, though. How did you think his recovery went? Do you think it was a little too sped up? Because obviously he's coming off a pretty serious injury, but it was a remarkable comeback. And did you think that you were going to see him come back again? I mean, to be honest, I really have no idea. <laughs> uh, you know, I followed it no closer than anybody else. Uh, probably a better question for a Redskins writer because, yeah, I mean, obviously it looked gruesome. I know I didn't even watch that special. But I guess that was uh, insane, the ESPN special, where it showed just how much he had to go through. So, yeah, I, I can't say I gave a lot of thought for when he came back. I think like everyone else, I kind of thought he was done. It's pretty amazing um, that he has come back. But, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just not a topic I've given a ton of thought. I mean, again, I, I'd be very surprised if he's factoring in in a real way um, to the quarterback competition there. Now, I want to ask you about, about the Cowboys because I think, you know, every, most people have them as the – winner in the division and they have a stacked offense now with Dak, Zeke, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and now CeeDee Lamb. However, they never really seem to execute in the playoffs and get to where people expect them to be. So is this a crazy question to you? If the Cowboys win the division and the Eagles make the wild card, is it crazy to think that the Eagles are a better Super Bowl contender than the Cowboys in that situation? No, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, they, um, you know, they have the DNA, obviously. I mean, granted, Nick Foles isn't there anymore, but a lot of those guys were there, um, you know, for the Super Bowl run a couple of years ago. And, you know, the Cowboys don't have uh, that same track record in the playoffs. So, no, I don't think that's crazy at all. I think if, if Philly gets in, they're, you know, the type of team that would be dangerous because they do sort of have the, the muscle memory of, of what it takes to make a run. Brendan, you want to go here, or do you want to uh, ask about the Super Bowl? Yeah, I just had one more quick question. So I know, you know, you're a Giants writer. You want to see the Giants do well. But, you know, they have a very tough schedule this season, at least the first eight games. They home against the Steelers, then Bears, 49ers, Rams, Cowboys, Washington, Philly, and then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, I mean, if you want to see Daniel Jones improve, do you see – what do you see them doing at least in those first eight games to show that Daniel Jones is, in fact, the quarterback of the future? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's very basic answer. They got to win some games, you know. It's it's one thing to you know say he played pretty well as a rookie, and you know they went I think three and nine in his starts, and certainly that's not on him. Um, he didn't have a ton of help. Defense wasn't very good, and and again he's a rookie. Um, at some point you have to you know put some wins together, and it'll be tough again because as you mentioned, it's a tough schedule. I think their defense is is still going to be a liability. Um, but you know the the truly great quarterbacks. I know there's a big debate if wins are quarterback stat. But the truly great quarterbacks, you know, they tend to win more than they lose. So, um, you know, I don't think that's a – those eight games are some defining stretch in his career. But I think that, you know, you'd like to see, you know, be around 500 at least and, and you know, give the team something to play for in the second half of the season. Now, Dan, before we let you go here, because you're a very, very busy man, just one team to win the Super Bowl, who do you pinpoint? Uh, I mean, it's an easy answer, I guess. But, I mean, uh, tough to pick against the Chiefs. I mean, they obviously were, uh, you know – juggernaut last year and the fact they were able to bring everybody back and give everyone new contracts and keep everybody happy uh kind of impossible to pick against them ladies and gentlemen that was dan duggan of the athletic thanks again dan thank you